All right. Okay, so um, stay of the family. We're going to be talking about parenting. We're going to talk about not just parenting because I look around and not all of us are at that stage in our life, whether we um, have uh, got our kids out of the house or haven't got the kids in the house yet at this point in our life. We're going to talk about parenting, but parenting is so much more than just if you have children. When you start looking at it, and I'm going to share with you in just a moment um, the definition of parenting and what that is. When you start looking at that, it's the same, same concept. It's the same things as that of, well, by definition, let me just share this. Parent, by definition, is one who provides guidance, motivation, emotional support, role modeling through teaching, training, and correcting. Doesn't that sound a lot like discipleship? It's the same factors. It's the same things. So I'm going to use the word parenting a lot today, but it's not the only, uh, when you, if you're not at that stage in your life, I want you then to think of the term in the form of discipleship because really those words are, are interchangeable. So I want to let you guys all know that this message is relevant to everyone. So though we're going to talk a lot about parenting, it is relevant to everyone. I want to share this passage with you. Uh, Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb. It doesn't say fruit of a loom. Fruit of the womb uh, is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who is, has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. As we look at this, when I think of parenting, um, I think of all different kinds. I'm just going to move this out of the way. I moved it over there, and I'm going to move it out. Um, <laughs> I'm going to trip on it. Um, there are biological parents, foster parents. We've experienced both of those. Uh, adoptive parents, we've experienced that as well, but there's also spiritual parents. Okay? Um, I would not be here today if it wasn't for spiritual parents along the way in my life and people who set the bar and, and showed me what a godly man looks like. I wouldn't be a godly man if I didn't have the examples. My grandfather was the first. When my parents divorced, my grandfather was the, was the one who set the example and he showed me what a godly man looked like so that I would know one day when I got married, one day when I had children, what that should look like in the home. So there's five factors that we're going to share and I'm going to talk about today. Role modeling, authority and submission, discipline, correction, training, coaching, nurturing, and uh, encouraging. So Proverbs 17.6 says this, Children's children are a crown to the aged. And every time I've ever talked to a grandparent, they can't stop talking about their grandkids. They're not talking about their children anymore. They're really like, well, I just kept my, my children alive so that I could get grandchildren. I've heard that from every grandparent out there. I kept them alive just so that I could get to this point, right? Grandparents, you with me on that, right? So, but look at this. This is talking about grandparents, right? Children's children are a crown to the age. Now, every grandparent, what do you say to that? Amen? Right? And so you look at that, but look at this. I love this. And parents are the pride of their children. 
I remember, uh, I've only been in like one fight in my entire life, but there was a lot of times that I threatened to get in a fight. Um, I was really afraid to get in a fight at school because um, if I got in trouble at school, when I went to school, and and, uh, that if I got in trouble, the principal would spank me and then I would go home and get a spanking. So it wasn't until I got into about middle school that they stopped spanking. Right, so but I remember in elementary I had this tall principal and he had this paddle with holes in it. And I was terrified. I'm like, I am not getting in trouble. Punching you in the face is not worth two spankings. So you know, but there was a lot of times. You know, the closest times that I got in fights were when somebody would talk about my dad. And you know what, little boys, all that all of them say, my dad can beat up your dad. No, he can't. My dad will beat up your dad. No, my dad's tougher than your dad. No, my dad's faster than. I mean, you'll go all kid, all little boys are fighting about what their daddies are. I mean, you guys, you guys remember those days too, right? And so, I mean, I remember that as like I, almost every throwdown I ever had as a little kid in elementary school is because somebody said their daddy was tougher than mine. I'm like, no. My dad will whoop your dad. My dad's like, no, don't get me in this, you know. Um, no, dad, come on, let's go do this, you know. And so we have that kind of that mentality. But the thing is, is that I, I love this. Parents are the pride of their children. Children, so with, the younger the children are, they look at their parents. Their parents are their heroes. Somewhere along the way, we've lost a lot of that. They get a little older, and then they start seeing that we didn't live the life that we should have been living. We didn't set the example we should have been setting. But I want us to get back to that place. And I want the next generation of parents to get that back. Where the parents are the pride of their children. That's what we got to get back. And today I believe that the scripture that God gave me for this week is perfect for today. It's perfect for us. So let me share with you a little bit about the state of the parent, where we're at. Um, there's never been um, a higher time in history than right now of single parents. There's never been a time in all of history since the beginning of time to right now that we have, have ever had more single parents raising children. Now listen to this. Parents, on average, spend about two hours per day with their children. Two hours. Now, this is not called quality time because that's only 15 minutes. The average parent has 15 minutes of quality time. That's where they're actually interacting, eye contact, talking. Most of the time, this average is how long a parent will be in the same room as their child, whether they're in the living room watching TV, around the table, but two hours on average per day a parent will spend with their children. Only 15 minutes of that two hours is quality time where they're interacting with each other. Guys, that's sad, isn't it? Kids spend seven and a half hours a day at school on average and spend seven and a half hours per day on screen time. That is the national average. Seven and a half hours on their phone. Seven and a half hours. Seven and a half hours. Come on. If you're following me, seven and a half hours. And most of us, because I know that when I was a kid, there wasn't cell phones. They didn't even have the Nokias that you could drop off the Empire State Building and it not break. They didn't even have the flip phones when I was in high school. There was no cell phone. The closest thing to a cell phone then was my dad's 
mobile bag phone that he had in his truck, and we thought we were cutting edge, right? Right? I mean, when I was growing up, you had the... the and then the kids are like, what is this? It's a space machine. What do you think? You call people on it, right? I'm like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go back to the old phone, put one of those rotary ones on the wall, and if you can figure out how to use it, you can call your friends. Can't use Google. Can't use Google to figure it out. So seven and a half hours on the phone. Research has said that any more than two hours a day is bad for their development. It, it takes away that much time, any more than two hours. Psychology has found that when you spend more than two hours on your phone, you begin to lose your creativity. You begin to use, lose common sense. It makes sense now. You, think about all the, the, the older generation like, man, this generation doesn't have any common sense. Well, of course not. They spent seven and a half hours on the phone. Kids stop playing with toys. They watch YouTube videos of somebody else playing with toys. They don't play video games anymore. They watch somebody else playing video games. I'm like, when Malachi did, I'm like, Malachi, what are you doing? Go play the game. You have that one. This is done. You either play it or you're not watching it. So, you know, I said, man, this is bad. This is real bad. I did not know it was that bad. Do you know why it's so bad? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Because parents spend eight and a half hours on their phones a day. Come on. Parents, adults, eight and a half. The kids are doing it because they're only repeating what they see. Monkey see, monkey do. Just saying. Just saying. So when I start thinking about all of this, I'm like, we are setting that example. Parents have set the example. Parents are spending over an hour or 145 minutes. This is almost two and a half hours just on social media. Out of the eight and a half hours, two and a half of it is TikToking, I don't know what all the social, Facebook. Snapchats, TikToks, the little real video things that were, where you get caught up and you spend about 40 minutes and you didn't realize, you know, when you're sitting on the toilet and you start doing the videos and then your legs go to sleep and you're like, I've been here too long. That. And you're laughing because you all have done it. Okay, maybe that's just us. So anyways, you're getting up and you're like, oh, my legs aren't working. You know, I mean, come on. But, here's the, but that's, the, that's the problem. We're wasting, guys, when you, one day, when, when I look back and I think about my childhood, my memories were all the crazy things that we did. I talked one of my friends into peeing on an electric fence. Uh, is that over the line? No, it's okay for here. It was the greatest thing ever. It was. It was on my birthday. I'm like, hey, come on, that, no, that's not an electric fence. Go do it. It'll be great. <laughs> look at this guy. I mean, I remember, you know, all these crazy things that we did as a kid, our kids aren't doing anything crazy. They don't even get in trouble anymore because they're on their stupid phones. And they're learning it because we are no longer doing anything fun. Because we are on our phones. The two hours that we spend with our children, it's on the phone. Parents are on their phone. The kids are on the phone. This has to change if we're 
going to make any impact on our children at all. Your kid is never going to grow up one day and say, man, the best day that I ever had with my dad was when we sat around the, the living room and watched TikTok videos. It won't. It won't be. One day they're going to look back at their life and say, man, I've wasted hours, days, months, years on a phone that didn't produce really any joy. Do you know why you're on the phone? Because you don't know what else to do with your time and all you're doing is killing time. You're never going to get that time back. The Bible says that we need to redeem our time. We're not redeeming it. We're killing it. God, you gave us an extra day. I'm going to spend eight and a half hours on my phone. Thanks for the day. That was a little heavy, wasn't it? All right. So when I talk about discipleship, we start talking about what a parent is. A parent is that caregiver, not just to a child, but to anyone. And we start thinking about parenting is discipling. I am called to disciple my kids. If you don't believe it, I'm going to read a passage out of Deuteronomy. It says this. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the, the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing. He's talking to adults. Then he says, that you may fear the Lord, your God, to keep all the statutes, his commandments, which I command you, you and your sons and your grandson, all the days of your life and the days that may be, you know, that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord... Uh, our God and father of our fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Do we, do our kids know that we love God that much? I mean, when we're talking about this, isn't just saying, hey, go to church and show a little bit of love. This is, do you love God with all your heart, mind, body, strength, soul, everything that you are? And does everybody in your house know that you love God that much? He says this, and these words which I command you shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign. What he's saying is this should be all that you should be talking to your children about God and how much you love him. You know what we like to do if we talk about God at all? We don't really talk about God. We talk about church. Typically, we talk about the stuff that we didn't like that day. And we allow our kids to listen in on our conversations as we belittle other people. Slander, backs, backbiting, all these types of things. We allow our children to be in conversations that they shouldn't be about, and it has nothing to do with our love of God. When's the last time you told your children how much you loved God? That's, that's the barometer this is what we're measuring by. It says that I am to love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, and I'm to teach my children that. So I need to be teaching my children that I love them with all that I am. I need my kids to know I love God more than anything else, and I want my kids to know that. So, discipleship. 
It's the greatest singular mission that we have from God. Your primary mission as a man is to disciple my wife. Discipleship of our spouse is the first level, the most primary form of it. If God so sees that he gives us children, then my secondary, my secondary uh, mission of discipleship is to my children. Many pastors have forsaken their families and discipling their families to try to disciple church. There's so many pastors' kids that have missed out on what a, a mother or a father, uh, a discipler was supposed to look like. And then after that, after I've discipled my spouse and my, my, my children, then it begins to open up to the rest of the world. If you've done a good job with your children, then you're going to have a, a heyday with your grandchildren. Matthew 28 19 and 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And lo, I will be with you always to the very end of age. This is the one singular mission every Christian has, to make disciples. The first thing is, is that as long as I have people under my roof in my house, this is that I my mean, number one field is my house. Then it begins, begins to go into my extended family and my friends and my co-workers and everywhere else. But my first responsibility is whatever's under my roof. First. Any of you who are parents, I'll just give you this one little piece of advice and then we're going to jump into Titus chapter 2. I remember hearing this um, uh, great explanation of, of parenting in a, in a sentence, and he says, here's the deal, here's how, here, here's how it works. Zero to five, you gain control. You let your kids know that you're the boss. They say, why? Oh, you don't have to answer that, you're the dad. You don't have to say, because I said so. This is what's going to happen, this is how it's going to be, you're going to bed. So when they, my, my children were young, I didn't always give them an answer, I just said, go to bed. Go to bed. And if you want to talk back, I can take my belt off and we can go to the second round. You know, we don't want to do that. So real quick, they learned that I was the boss. That whatever dad said, whatever mom says, that's how this is going to go. From 6 to 12, you begin to teach them all the whys. This is why we're going to bed. This is why we're doing the kitchen work. This is why you wash your own clothes. This is why you're going to clean your room. This is why you learn how to cook a meal. So that one day... When mom's not in the house, you can cook your dad a meal. I mean, when you get married and you move on, okay? Um, but the thing is, is that, that, that from the 6 to the 12, you begin to do all that. That's where the teaching comes in because they already know I'm the boss. I don't have to fight for control. We're not going to have that issue when they turn in 6. That's why after 6, I, there was hardly a spanking I gave in my house. It all happened before that point. By six, now I'm teaching them. This is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is how we're doing it. At the age of 13 to 18, I begin to coach them, allow them to make some mistakes. They go out there, and I'm like, that, I said, go, go do the chores or go do this. And then they go out there, and you're like, why are they doing it that way? Took them 30 minutes extra time. Come in like, how'd that work out? Well, not as good as your, your way, Dad. They learned something all on their own. That maybe Dad knew a little bit more been doing this a little longer. When they get to 18 and they move out of your house, now you can be their friend. You know one of the things that I say to my girls all the time? I'm not your friend, I'm your dad. 
I am not your friend, I am your dad. A lot of parents get so caught up in being their kids' friends that they can't parent them anymore. So, guys, I want you to turn your Bibles to Ch- Titus chapter 2. This, is, this, is, I, I, this passage, I was sitting there when God gave me this passage at the beginning of the week, I was like, this doesn't really have to do with parenting. It really has to do with discipleship. And then I really understood as we went along that this is, this is what the church was supposed to look like. And, and now it's going to make a lot of sense. But the first three verses said this. Titus chapter 2 says, But as for you, so Paul's writing a letter to a young pastor named Titus. And Titus, this is, he's giving him instructions on how he is to pastor and teach the church. And he says this, he says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, for sound teaching, right? Then he says that, the older men. So first step is he's talking to the older men. Older men, be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience, and the older women, likewise, that they may be reverent in behavior. He even had to throw the extra, when he talks about the woman, did you notice that he has to throw in a little extra wording? Like, guys, here, just be reverent, be, you know, be, be sober, uh, be, be temperate. Women, you need to be reverent in all of your behavior. See how he had to add that? I'm going to move right along because I see the looks that I'm getting. The women, likewise, reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. The first thing when we deal with, with the type of person that God is calling us out to be, whether, whether we're trying to set an example for a younger sibling, for our spouse, for our children, for the grandchildren, for, for the neighbor next door, the first thing is this role model. The first thing. The first thing as a parent, the first thing as a discipler, the first thing as a mentor, the first thing as a life coach, role model. Someone whose behavior, example, or success can be emulated. It means that someone else can see what I'm doing and they can, they can mimic it. I'm giving them a model. This is what a father looks like. This is what a husband. So what, you know what I'm teaching my boys? What a husband is supposed to look like. This is how you treat a woman. This is the kind of man you're supposed to be. And then when they get older, this is the kind of father you should have been. My grandfather modeled that before I ever even had a girlfriend, before I ever even had children, before I had all of those things. Those were all modeled for me. And here's the, here's the most amazing thing is this. We are not amazing. This is bad. But parents have this model today. And what they say today is they say, do as I say, not as I do. I can't tell you how many times I've had parents say that. And they say, man, I don't want my kids to smoke while they're smoking. I don't want my kids to cuss, but they're cussing. I don't want my kids to do this, but they're doing it. That's not being a role model. If you don't want your kids to cuss, then stop cussing. If you don't want them to smoke, then you stop smoking. You are the example that they will follow. In church, in life, everywhere. And yet, get this, he's not talking to parents, is he? Who is he talking to? He's talking to the older men and the older women. And what he's saying is you have to set the example first. I, I always, as a younger, I always watched, you know, I think if, as people get older, they get a little bit more um, opinionated. Anybody notice that? Only the younger people are noticing. The younger people are like, I notice it, you know? 
Um, but here's the thing. Uh, uh, my, my wife's already opinionated. <laughs> I don't know what that means. The Bible says, I'm <laughs> so much trouble. So here's the thing is he's talking about them being a role model. You cannot, I say this to our ministers all the time, but this should be said to our parents. This should be said to every adult, every mentor. You cannot minister, parent, disciple beyond your character. You can't parent, listen to me parents, you can't parent beyond your character. You can't do it. You cannot parent beyond that because you can't say to your kid, do as I say, not as I do. They already, then all of a sudden they see right through their, you're a complete hypocrite to them. So now you've, you have eliminated yourself as being a real, authentic, genuine parent. This is what character is. What you do when no one's looking. What kind of a man, what kind of a woman are you when no one else is looking? What do you stand for when everyone is looking? What kind of a person are you under pressure? Do you do the right thing or do you follow the crowd? If everybody's doing the wrong thing, do you stand against them all and say, I'm doing the right thing when everyone's doing the wrong thing? What can you, uh, who do you desire to be? I love this part. This is such a redeeming part of character because I want to be, be better than I am today. Well, that means that I'm going to find someone who's further down the road than me and learn from them. I wanted to learn from my dad. I wanted to learn from my grandfather. When I find a man who's a godly man doing things great on a, in an excellent way, I want to learn from them. I want to grow. If you want to grow, no one's going to stop you. If you don't want to learn, no one can help you. What you can be trusted with. That's character. Now he says... He says to the older men, you are to be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, love, and in patience. Older women, you are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Sober means to be restrained or sober in substance. Okay? Alcohol, drug abuse that is such a, a thing that runs rampant in the world today. And he says, you are to set the example to those who are younger. So what he's teaching is this. If you're older, whoever you're older than, you're to set the example for them. So if you are a high school youth, you are to set an example for the middle school youth. If you are an elementary and you're third grade boys, right? If you're in third grade, you're to set the example for the second grade and the first graders. Whatever, fourth grade, then set the example for the first graders. That's what he's telling. He's saying, older men, this is what you're supposed to look like. You're to, you're to be sober and reverent. The word reverent, honorable and worthy of respect. Are you somebody who is honorable and worthy to be respected by people around you? That's, that's a tough one, isn't it? See, this isn't saying, hey, if you want to be a pastor, this is what, he's like, listen, if you're older, older men, this is what you are to be in the church. You are to be reverent. You, people should look at you and want to respect you because you're living a life worthy of respect. Temperate, that means that you are self-controlled, that you've you're, you're, you got a hold on your temper. I'm a young guy, and that's an area that I'm still working on. I'm hoping that by the time I become an older 
I'm not doing very good at that. I'm not young. Barbara said I'm not young. Never mind. So, working on it. Older women, to be reverent in behavior, to be not slanders. Oh, on the men, he said sound in faith. He didn't even throw this in with the women. He says, men, you are to be sound in faith. That means that you are unshakable in your belief in God. We learned in our men's conference that 90, like if a man will get his life turned around for God, he has a 90% chance of changing the whole family. That's why this is saying, older men, you are to set the tone in being unshakable in your faith. To be sound in your love. To show the entire family, to the entire congregation, what does unconditional love look like? Sound in patience, ability to take a great deal of pain, punishment, circumstance without being provoked to anger. I like that definition, that's good. Not slanderers. He goes then to the women and adds this one into the women. Do you know what the word slanderer is in Greek? Diabolos. Well, that's the devil. I'm just saying. It's basically saying, women, don't be the devil. I didn't write. I'm just saying. Older women, do not be a diabolos. The reason why the word was used there, all the husbands are like, oh, this is great. They're take, oh, you're taking notes now, guys? I see, okay, all right, all right. You guys are all, we're all gonna have to have another men's conference just to figure out how to get, you know, and back in the house. She changed the locks, you know, how do I get back in? <laughs> no, you don't. <clears throat> Not given to much wine, teachers of good things. I gotta move on, I'm, I'm going really slow. So, here's where he starts saying, older women, the second principle that we're gonna talk about is being a teacher, Teacher of what? Good things. Here's the deal. Parents, men, women, older folks in the church, if you are older than anybody else, you are teaching something. Every one of you is teaching something today, and you're going to teach something tomorrow, and you're going to, every one of you is teaching. By your life, by your actions, by your words, you are teaching people who are watching you. Are you teaching good things? A teacher takes the time to repeat themselves often. When I started thinking about the Bible, how it talks about, um, well, the definition is the practice of explaining how to do something. But teaching is a practice. It's something that you're repetitively doing. Um, Paul says, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things again to you. A lot of times when you find the Bible, it constantly tells us over and over and over and over to love the Lord your God with all your heart. You can't, you, almost every book of the Bible has it. It's repetitive. It's trying to sink in a point to our thick heads, right? Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way they should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I started thinking about this verse a lot. What is it to train? I remember in wrestling, I, would, I wanted to be really good at takedowns, and so I would do a single leg takedown against the wall a hundred times after practice over and over and over and over to where I never had to think about it in a wrestling match. When they, I'm already in the, and I forgot, I, like I didn't even realize I was doing that, and I'm already got the guy taken down. That's what training is. It's repetitive. It's over and over and over and over. Here's the thing is, is that what we think training our children in the Lord is is to drop them off at church take them to Sunday school, take them to VBS, and send them off to camp. That is not training. 
That is not discipling your children. That is not, that's not even how you can disciple. Hey, I want to get you saved, man. Why don't you go to church with me? And then, how'd you like it? I hope it works for you. And we just, you know, we think that just taking people to church is discipling them. It's not. You are te- going to teach them something. You teach something. Teach what is good. So the next part, Titus chapter 2, next verses, says, older women, you are to teach the younger women, right? Teach the, so that, that they admonish the young women. So older women, you are to admonish the younger women. I'm going to explain what admonish it is like. Yes, we're going to slap them around. No, that's not what admonish means. Admonish the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And so what they said is the older women, you are to disciple the younger women. So younger women should be listening to the older women, but if you want them to listen to you, if you're an older, you've already raised some kids, because here's the thing is I love parenting advice, but I like to take parenting advice from good parents. People who have already done there, done that, and they're like, hey, you know what? Um, we've had a little bit of success, or hey, you know what? We didn't have such good success, and here's where we went wrong. I mean, as, as, as a, the next generation, you're the next generation by the word of God is called to teach and raise up and admonish the younger generation. An older woman should be coming along teaching a younger wife, hey, this is, you, you're not showing your husband respect. Stop that. That is not right. Hey, you know what? You need to get a hold of your kid before I do. I'm wearing a belt. I'm just letting you all know right now. And if I get over there, the camera's not actually on me. I'm just saying, there's no video proof of anything. So the word admonish here is actually translated encourage. You are to be a role model, you are to teach good things, and you are to encourage. To encourage is the practice of giving someone support, confidence, and hope. To give courage. Think about that. That's what encouragement is. You're actually building them up. You're encouraging them. How You're not getting on to them all the time. There's a rebuking time. But a lot of times is the older generation, sometimes what happens to the younger generation is all they feel like is they get in trouble and trouble and trouble and trouble. And they don't ever feel encouraged. They always feel beat down. So the thing is, is that as a parent, as a discipler, we are needing to be an encourager. Hey, you're doing a great job. Can I give you some advice? You're doing a great job, man. I, I watched what you did the other day. That was awesome. Can I share something with you? The best advice I ever got was from my dad about parenting. He said, be consistent. Thanks, Dad. It's true, though. Daniel, if you're going to say you're going to spank them, don't count to three. You spank them. If you say you do that again, I'm going to spank you. You don't give them another one. Another one, you just do it. And then if they get a spanking for it this time and they continue to do it, you give them another one. And you give them another one until they stop. And at some point, if you're consistent enough, they'll stop. Spare the rod, spoil the child is what I learned. My dad was super consistent. In fact, every time he ever told me, when we get home, you're going to get a spanking, he never forgot. I kept track. We'd be at church, and he's like, when we get home, I'm like, well, we've got a long day. We're going to be going out to lunch, and we're going over to this family's home. It'll be like 7 or 8 o'clock. He won't remember. Oh, he remembered every time. Can you not forget something? All right, so 
Encouragement, guys. We need to lift them up. We need to encourage. The next one, Titus chapter 2, verses 11. This is towards the end of this because there's, it basically repeats itself of what men and the younger men. And so here we go. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously. See, he's also going right now repeating all the role models, like what we're supposed to live like. Again, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, that he may, might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself in his own special people, zealous for God's work. Now listen, here it is. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Here's the next one, discipline or correction. This is where he says rebuke, right? There's a, he says it right out rebuke. This is a word for discipline or correction. That is the practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior using punishment to correct disobedience. We don't, we, I remember when we first started pastoring and before our, we had any children, I remember um, a bunch of the psychology, it was really big in psychology to say that it was bad to spank your children. I don't know if any of you guys remember. I was trying to even remember what his, this psychologist, I don't even remember what his name is, but anyways, he was really big and he was pushing all over the place on this one thing. And, huh? There it is. Yeah. All right. You guys are on it. Yes. And so, uh, so here's the thing. He did not, of course, read the book of Proverbs because he says, he that spares the rod hates his son. Woo. Woo. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him chastises him betimes. A lot of times. I, it's not my car. Mine's over there. So, I don't know what to tell you. So here's the thing. Discipline, it's, it's raising up. And here's the thing is, is that there's even correction. All the people that I've ever mentored, that's not just a child discipline. It's something that happens in relationships, in friendships, and, and I've corrected my wife. My wife has corrected me. There's, I mean, there's a correction in a part of raising up, isn't there, in a discipleship. You cannot disciple without accountability. But you know what? We don't like accountability, do we? Adults don't, especially adults, we don't like to be held accountable for our behaviors, and then we're mad when everything falls apart that we've touched. So the last one in the same verse is it talks about with all authority. You speak these things with all authority. Authority is having the power and the right to give orders. As a parent, I have the right. As a parent, I have the power. As a discipler, people, somebody will come in and they will give me the right. Does that make sense? Because if I haven't lived an example, no one's going to listen. If I'm not living that role model, so if you don't start off with the role model part, you're never going to be allowed to, in, in anyone's life to give them any kind of advice. Outside of, look at me, don't do this. That's not what we want in this life, is it? I have this last quote that I want to share with you. Without a role model in life, 
It is extremely difficult to become a person who benefits their family. I will tell you this. If you don't have a mentor in your life, somebody that you look up to, that you want to emulate, that you want to mimic, that you want to imitate, you need one. Every one of us. I've had a mentor my entire life. When I started off being a pastor, when I was growing up, I remember when I was 18 years old, I surrendered my life to Christ, and I knew I was being called into the ministry, and my grandfather was my first mentor. He's been living that way for a long time. He was a role model, and he never even had to say anything to me. He lived it in front of me, and I knew exactly how I was supposed to treat people. So I want you guys to bow your head. I know this isn't a preachy sermon today, (laughs) but what this is, is this is about what kind of an example we're going to leave behind We always open up the altars for anyone who needs to be here. I think sometimes the hardest thing about life is when we get to those places of where we look back and we have some regret that we didn't do what we needed to do earlier or sooner. We feel like there's wasted years, and I'm telling you this, you can't go back. But what you can do, just like Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I strain towards what's ahead. I want to encourage each one of you today, if you take anything home from this, that you would make a decision in your heart that from this day forward, you will begin to be someone living in such a way that other people want to follow the way that you live. That you make a decision that you will set the example for your kids, your grandkids, for your neighbors. That you will live a life worthy to be respected. So at this time, their heads bowed, our eyes closed. If there's anything that the Lord lays on your heart to, to come forward, come forward. If this is one of those times where you just, maybe God is confirming in your life that that you're right on track. Maybe there was something said today and you're like, there has to be a change. I remember not a couple of months ago that my wife and I were sitting down and we're like, the phone situation has to change. It has to change. We cannot do this anymore. We cannot allow this to be an idol in our house. We can't allow this to go on. And I felt like I couldn't make a change. Well, I'd already given my kids all a phone. I'm like, I remember I'm not their friend. I'm their dad. If what's best for my kid is not to have a phone, then that's what's best for my kid. If it's what's best for me and my marriage to put the phone away, to change how the phone is used. Thing is, is that so often we, we, we lie to ourselves and we think that we can't make the change. We know we need to, but we don't think we can. That is a lie. If you know a change needs to be made, then make it. 
Even if it makes somebody mad, even if your kids are angry with you for a week, even if your spouse is angry with you, if it's the right thing to do and you know it's right, then do it. Make a change. Make the change that your family needs.